you'll please join me now in Ephesians chapter 6 and what will be our last message in our series, Excavating Ephesians. Can you believe we started this series on January the 10th, 2018? So it took two years, 10 months, 103 messages, but here we are. And we'll, be, we'll begin tonight by reading the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul closes out this epistle by saying this, Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So Paul begins his letters mentioning grace and peace. And I'm talking about the openings now. I know where I'm at. But he he begins all of his letters by mentioning grace and peace. With only slight variations, most of his openings are just like what you'll read in the beginning of this letter in chapter 1 and verse 2 where he writes, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll find that he also mentions mercy along with grace and peace when he writes to the preachers, (laughs) to Timothy and Titus. And I find that slightly humorous that he adds mercy to the preachers. You're going to need grace and peace. But you're also going to need a lot of God's mercy. Amen. I guess you have to be a, a, a pastoring to get that joke. But okay, we'll move on. Struck me as funny anyhow. Amen. Paul closes all of his letters by mentioning grace again. With some variance, you'll read something like this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so he typically opens and closes all of his letters the same. And we see here at the close of Ephesians, Paul mentions peace, love, and grace. And if we take those three terms by themselves, it kind of sounds like something a hippie might say. Peace, love, and happiness. You know, some hippies had some pretty dumb sayings. And if you're an ex-hippie, I'm not against you. For example, John Lennon said, If everyone demanded peace instead of another television set, then there would be peace. What? What does that mean? Do I just go into Best Buy and say, no, no, no. I don't want a TV set. I just want peace. Oh, well, let's just have peace. I don't know how that works, but that was his quote. And while some during the 60s and early 70s desperately wanted peace, they had one major problem. They were looking inwardly for peace. There was this idea that one's mind had to be opened. And strangely enough, it would be illicit drugs that would open that mind. They would say things like a mind is like a parachute. It's only useful when it's open. Existentialism was the philosophical theory that had dominated and really become very popularized in America during the 60s. And it's nothing more than humanism. And humanism is all about self. And from a philosophical standpoint, humanism attaches importance to the individual rather than divine belief in some sort of a supernatural. I came across this definition. Humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, 
and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. So did you catch that definition? They stress the potential value and goodness of human beings. Here's a description I found. Humanism is a belief that human, human needs and values are more important than religious beliefs or the needs and desires of humans. An example of humanism is the belief that the person creates their own set of ethics, end quote. That's the danger, is when we decide what's right and what's wrong based upon our own situational ethics. And when terms like peace, love, and even grace for that matter, they're used with humanistic approaches, then how do you find true peace, love, and grace without God? 1 John 4.16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now the Lord of peace, the Lord of peace Himself give you peace. Always, by all means, the Lord be with you all. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. And therefore, one cannot experience peace, love, and grace without knowing God. God is love. God gives peace. God gives grace. It all comes from God. This is the problem that we are witnessing today. People talk about desiring peace and love and grace toward their fellow human beings. But they are attempting to acquire these attributes without God who is the author of them. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace. He's the author of peace. Now, I'm not endorsing the self-professed Marxist movement. They have said they're Marxist. I'm not endorsing Black Lives Matter. But of course Black Lives Matter. Aren't you glad we're all created in the image of God and we all need to be saved and He died for all mankind? But listen, not only do Black Lives Matter, but so do red and yellow and white. I think somewhere along the line we got away from those little cute songs thinking they were too immature for adults to sing. Or too racist one, I don't know. I know, And I say that because I know there's some, there's some talk about whether or not saying red and yellow are racist. I don't know. I know at one time the map used to say the Yellow Sea and I think it now says the China Sea. So I think there is some kind of racist component there with that term yellow. But isn't it interesting we got away from those kind of songs. Jesus loves the little children. And if you look at the three stanzas, Jesus loves the little children. Jesus died for all the children. And Jesus rose for all the children. Which children? All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. If we want true racial equality, we can't find it by looking inwardly. But it must come by going to God, who is peace, love, and grace. I don't like that there are white churches and black churches and Native American churches. I don't like that. 
If there's a language barrier, so be it. Then I say, do what you have to do to effectively communicate. But if we're all of the same tongue, we should all be in the same body. I was so encouraged. I went to, um, I've been staying in touch with Brother Stephen Dawson. He was our Sunday school teacher for a while. They were only here a year. God moved him to South Carolina. Black family, and he's down there about to take over that church. And I went, he texted me and said, you need to check out our new website. He said, we got encouraged because y'all got a new website. <laughs> we're leading the way, amen. And so I uh, visited his website, and they pride themselves, if I can use that term. I don't know if that's the right term to use, but they pride themselves on being a diverse church. And it shows. It shows. Down there in South Carolina, listen, for those of you that know the Southeast, you know. And yet there are blacks and whites and all kind of folks all together in one body. Why? Because in Christ, we're all one. We are to be made up of all different races and backgrounds. We all come from different um, ethnicities and all these things. I mean, and that's what makes the church so unique. And, and that's what amazing, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but, uh, but that's what is amazing when we think of Paul writing to the Ephesians. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee once. And, and yet, here he is writing to Gentiles. And he's telling them you got to have peace and love and grace. He treated all believers the same regardless of their background, their color, their anything. Amen. And so the key to peace and love and grace is not humanistic ideals where we just need to look inwardly or think positively. But Paul gives the key in his closing here in verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brethren, love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So we see peace to the brethren, love with faith, and grace be with them who, are, who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, faith, love for Christ. Do you pick up on that? And what the world seeks through humanistic philosophies is only found in the Lord. And therefore, only those who are in the Lord will know what real peace is what genuine love is, and what it means to experience grace. We can have peace through political uncertainties because our peace is not in politics. But we can still have peace through all of this because our peace is from God. We can experience God's love by having faith in Christ and having love for the brethren. And of course, divine grace is only for those who love the Lord. And these are three qualities that every church needs. And our church needs to be known as a church body of peace, love, and grace. Those who come in should sense the peace that is found here. And when we go out, people should see the peace in this world of turmoil. People should be able to see how gracious we are in here. But they should also experience our grace out there. Now that's tougher for me when I get in the car behind the wheel, but 
Don't worry, I don't, say, I don't have a bumper sticker that says, follow me to liberty. We need to be gracious to people. Those who come in here should sense that we love one another because we are a family made up of brothers and sisters in Christ. When we are out in the world, they should see the love we have for each other and they should know that we love them for Christ's sake. Now, I believe on a Wednesday night, all of you understand this is simple enough. So how is it so often it seems that churches have issues being peaceful, loving, and gracious with one another? I'm just so amazed at what's happening in our country, and it's like we would rather fight amongst other Baptists. Listen, my fight's not with the church down the street. Amen. I mean, look at what's happening around our world, and we want to focus on, well, we don't really like the way your pastor combs his hair. I don't like it tonight either, amen. It, I need a haircut. I get it. And, and I think we understand that we ought to be that kind of people, that we ought to have peace, we ought to have love, we ought to have grace. But isn't it pitiful how some Christians can't manifest these attributes among their fellow believers? Come on now. Just think that those who say they are in Christ and have experienced God's peace, God's love, and God's grace will hold grudges against members of the same body. It's like the hand hating your foot. How sad that there are those who say they're in Christ, and yet they grow bitter, unforgiving, are argumentative and insulting. How sad that Christians can't even reconcile with one another. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And if it weren't so serious, it'd be humorous. Funny sometimes, people can conclude how godly somebody is, yet those who we elevate to these godly platforms and pedestals can't be peaceful, can't be loving and gracious when something doesn't go their way. And listen, we can talk about preachers that way. We can put a preacher up here on a pedestal, and yet when he's in the pulpit, he's chewing everybody out. Amen. Someone called me once about a situation, and they said, but they're just so godly. And I stopped them and said, oh, no, they're not. Don't you put them on that pedestal. A godly person wants reconciliation. If they were godly, as you presume, they would accept the invitation to reconcile. So what's the problem? Well, it's pride. It's pride. Pride keeps people from being peaceful. Only by pride cometh contention. Pride keeps people from being loving. Well, they have to earn my love. Boy, aren't you glad you didn't have to earn Christ's love? Pride keeps people from being gracious. Well, you don't know what they did to me, and they don't deserve my grace. How sad. How quickly we can become not Christian. Not Christ-like is what I'm trying to say. And if that's how a church is internally, then how, are, how is that church going to be effective outwardly? If we can't be peaceful, loving, and gracious to those in Christ then how are we going to reach the lost? Because if we can't have a heart for those that are in Christ. Now, 
I find it interesting how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he mentions to these Ephesians their need to have love with faith and that grace would be with those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. To love in sincerity means, well, it means what you think it means. It means that your love is genuine. But to further describe what this means, it means love without corruption. Love without immorality. It is a love which is to be unending. It is a love which is to never decay. And I find it interesting that out of all of Paul's epistles, that he's led to write to, that to these Ephesians, it's interesting what he writes to them here at the end, isn't it? He never closes any of his other epistles this way, and yet here he says, you need to have love with faith and you need to have love with sincerity. Now, I find that very interesting because of what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to turn there if you'd like to join me. Most of you know already where I'm going with this thought. But let's read what the Lord says in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art falling, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so each of these seven churches listed here in chapters 2 and 3 are addressed unto the angel of the church. And I just want to quickly mention this. I believe, and most also agree, that the angel of the church is speaking to the pastor. It's another way to say messenger. That's a humbling thought that I won't get into tonight. But Jesus says to this church of Ephesus, I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Jesus knew what they were all about. He was taking notice. And He commands, or He commends for what they are doing well. He gives them a pat on the back for that, and I think we need to be humbled but also motivated at the thought that Jesus knows exactly what we are about tonight. He knows our works. He knows our motives. He's taking notice. They labored and were not fainting. And when I read that, I couldn't help but think of our theme verse this year, Psalm 27, 13. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But in verse 4, we see that Jesus did have an issue with the church of Ephesus. And Jesus says unto them, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And isn't that interesting that Paul closes Ephesians, encouraging them to keep loving. And yet the first church mentioned here in the Revelation, they've left their first love. 
You know, every true church begins with love of their Savior. Every true believer fell in love with the Savior. Spurgeon wrote, quote, Ever to be remembered is that best and brightest of hours when first we saw the Lord, lost our burden, received the role of promise, rejoiced in full salvation, and went on our way in peace, end quote. Remember that Paul wrote to these Ephesians to have love with faith. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Their love for the Lord was to be unending. It was to be without decay. And here, listen, this is only about 35 years later. If you do the math, you know, give or take, depending on when you pinpoint when these were written. But 35 years later, our Lord's indictment against them is they have left their first love. And overall, I think we could say their first love was Christ, but if we were to try to drill that down further and see what it is, what does this mean they've left their first love? Well, I believe the the answer is found in verse 5 here of Revelation 2. And it says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And so there seems to be a connection between their first love and whatever their first works were. Because Jesus, after He says, Thou hast left thy first love, He then says, You need to repent and do the first works. What do we know about their first works biblically? Well, let me read to you from Acts chapter 19, verses 1-7. through And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, And unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come, on, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands laid His hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Paul had one stop in Ephesus before that, but he was just passing through, and he said, I'm going to return to you if I can. And listen, we're just kind of tying a ribbon over this study in Ephesians. And, and in this passage I just read in Acts chapter 9, when, is when Paul first returned, or in Acts chapter 19, it's when Paul first returned. And we see that there were 12 men. It's a very humble beginning. There were 12 men who, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues or in other languages and they prophesied, meaning they preached. We know from Acts chapter 2 that when the Holy Ghost came upon them on the day of Pentecost, that they, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them Utterance. Remember that when we studied verse 19? And utterance is to effectively communicate the gospel. They were preaching. Peter was preaching Christ. It was all about Christ when you read Acts chapter 2. And he was preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And therefore, when these twelve men in Ephesus had the Holy Ghost come upon them, and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied, I believe we can say that the first works that they were doing, the first that's recorded in the Bible there at Ephesus, was they were preaching Christ to the lost. Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, He said it was good. Listen, it's good that you're trying those who say they are apostles, and you find out they're not, and you call them out as liars. That's good. 
What that says to me, I believe, is that this church in Ephesus, 35 years down the road, after we close this epistle, they were good at identifying right doctrine and wrong doctrine. Is everybody with me? We're going to apply it here real soon. They were real good at identifying, okay, wait a minute, that's not right. You're a liar. And they were real good at protecting their little bubble of their church. Nobody was getting in there that shouldn't. They had right doctrine. They were protecting themselves from erroneous teachings and teachers. But could it be they had become lax when it came to preaching the gospel outwardly? And this seems to be the plight of many independent Baptist churches today. We can tell you what's right and wrong. We can chew you up one side and down the other letting you know about it. Oh, we know who's a liar and we know who the Nicolaitans and we know. But are we preaching to the lost? I've said many times about our church, we do wonderfully well reaching the uttermost of the printing press. Nobody can argue that. Millions reached. But how would you rate us when it comes to reaching our Jerusalem? Have we left our first love? Would Jesus bring an indictment against us? Here we are nearly 41 years later. Almost the same time span when Paul closed the letter and Jesus said to the Ephesians, you've left your first love. You see, what happens is we can get so complacent about where we're at and say, we're good, we're good. We're good at 1515 Space Avenue. All we got to do is keep this place full, we're good. No, no, no. We got to reach Rapid City. We got to go beyond the walls of this church. You hear what I'm saying? I should say the walls of this facility. We got to go beyond that. Have we lost? Have we left our first love? Would Jesus bring an indictment against us? If we are not doing what we know we ought to do, then we must repent and do the first works. How many of you, after you got saved, boy, you just couldn't wait to tell somebody about it? Yeah, what happened later? Right? Now, all of a sudden, it's not as exciting to go tell somebody. How are you individually? Have you left your first love? Remember, listen, for you to have the, uh, the peace, the love, the grace, for you to have that and keep that and to keep from being one of these that backslide, remember, you got to have those things in Christ. But when you leave your first love, you start to drift away from having peace in your life, having love for others, being gracious. I wonder tonight, does the Lord have somewhat against you? Then you must repent, do the first works. So in closing, are you a peacemaker among the brethren? Do you have love with faith? Do you offer grace to others? And when it comes to you and the Lord, do you still love the Lord in sincerity or has something entered in which has corrupted that love? If so, remember, therefore, from whence thou art falling, repent and do the first works. We just need to stay with the fundamentals. Amen. So I hope that was a help to you tonight. I don't, 35 years from now, I don't want the Lord to say, you know what, I have somewhat against you. You're not doing what you should do. We just need to stay focused on the main thing. That's winning the loss for Christ. Let's pray.